0: Welcome to the Perspectrum, I'm Nathan Sealove. Oh, and I'm introducing myself this time. Yes, you are. <laughs> and I'm Raymond Sealove. Yep. Continuing to fill in for Michael, who is uh, still on vacation, um, wrestling cattle. That's what he's doing on his vacation. I don't know what he's doing. I, uh, I, <laughs> I honestly don't remember. But <laughs> I decided to come up with something that sounded fun. Um, and I've been playing a lot of uh, Red Dead Redemption recently, so I was thinking of cows.
1: Yeah, I've actually wrestled with cattle. It's not fun. <laughs> it's not? No, they are really strong. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, so one or 2000 pounds of muscle depending on the breed. Uh it's Yeah, they seem docile, but they're much stronger than you.
0: Hmm. Speaking of cows, um today's going to be a great episode. Uh, That was a terrible transition, but uh, today's going to be a great episode. Today, we are going to be talking about the bombshell revelations in Bob Woodward's new book, Rage, regarding what Trump knew about coronavirus and when he knew it. And then we're going to spend some time talking about vaccines and about some of the things that have been discussed about expediting the process of approving vaccines and how that could potentially be problematic in several ways. And once again, we have a scientist here who can actually talk about that stuff. And then we're going to end the podcast with an interview of uh, Michael's brother, Chris Bloom, and his fiancée, Gabby Sprav, who have been actively participating in the protests ...for quite a while in New York and actually participated in the March on Washington. So So we're going to
1: give us an on-the-ground view of what it was like.
0: Yeah, exactly. So we're really excited about that. So to start out, though, let's go and talk about something less exciting, COVID numbers. So currently, global cases, we have 27,695,130 confirmed cases... And that is along with 900,079 global deaths. So we've almost reached the million death threshold in the entire world. In the United States, we have 6,356,310 cases. And as for deaths, we have 190,649. We have almost reached the 200,000 death threshold in the United States. That is terrible and depressing. So we're nowhere
1: near the numbers uh, from the 1918 flu, what they
0: at that time called the Spanish flu, which didn't really make any sense because it didn't originate in Spain. It originated in the United States, right? Um, So it's a little hard to tell
1: where it originated but it basically got the name Spanish flu because um most of the rest of the world was um trying to censor any news about flu cases. Uh, basically, they considered it to be national security issues during the war. yeah. And uh, Spain was one exception. Spain actually, was honest about their infections and because of that ended up getting blamed for the flu.
0: No good deed goes unpunished. Yeah,
1: but um, I I do want to point out that when we look at numbers, we have the advantage of it being a long time ago, so we can actually count the entire pandemic. We're... We're not at the end of this one yet.
0: Yeah, that's that's the concerning part. I remember that points kept being brought up early in the pandemic when the numbers were really small about how, basically, why are we worried about this? It's really small at this point, to which Michael and I spent a lot of time talking about exponential growth, which ended up being basically exactly what happened. Right. So These things start out small. Yeah, they start out small, and... They grow fast. They grow very fast. And the concerning thing is there's still a lot more room for this virus to grow. It We are very likely going to be hitting the 200,000 death threshold very soon. And it's probably not going to be over after that.
1: And what happened in the 1918 flu is there were um, several different waves that kind of came and went. Um now it was a very different kind of flu uh, or sickness being a flu. It was, um, uh, there was a little bit more seasonal effect than what we've seen so far. Yeah. Although we still don't know. Yeah. Um, with this one, respiratory infections are notoriously seasonal. Yeah. But so far it's hard to tell if this one will turn out that way. Um, if it does turn out to be highly seasonal, we might see a big increase in the fall and that would be yeah. Frightening. Yeah. Fall is coming soon.
0: Yeah. So that brings us to the bombshell revelations. And we here at the Perspectrum pride ourselves on setting the record straight. So when we make a statement that turns out to be wrong, we like to make sure that we correct ourselves. So, one thing that I would like to personally correct myself, my past self in, uh, is all the times in which I've bragged about the fact that Michael and I called the fact that this coronavirus was not the flu like all the way back in I think it was either March or February when we first started talking about this. And You know, I've been taking I had been taking credit for the fact that we had a better understanding of what was going on than the president of the United States. So turns out the
1: president of the United States understood this all along. Yeah. And he told Bob Woodward about it.
0: Yeah. So when I first on tape, when I first saw this, I didn't realize that it was on tape. So I I, I saw it and I believed it. Because it does seem relatively in character for him, but my thought was, well, all the right wingers are just going to be like, it's fake news, you know. Woodward is just making making it up, but no, Woodward recorded it. He record he records a lot of his uh, a lot of his interviews to make sure that there is a very solid record uh, of every single conversation in which he reports on. But he did record this and there are two very important quotations that we need to talk about that the president specifically said so the first one and we're going
1: to listen to your narrations of these quotes rather than the actual yes uh, tapes yes that's probably better sound wise
0: yeah probably so in february on february 7th which if you'll remember all through february he was going around Donald Trump was going around doing rallies in which he was claiming that, well, coronavirus is just the newest Democratic hoax. So this recording was from February 7th. When talking about COVID in comparison to the flu, he said, quote, this is more deadly. This is five per, you know, this is 5% versus 1%. And less than 1%. You know, so this is deadly stuff. He was saying this in private to Bob Woodward while he was going out to rallies telling people that it was a Democratic hoax. What's worse is that later in March, specifically on March 19th, he admitted to the fact that he was downplaying it on purpose. He said... Quote, I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down because I don't want to create a panic. So the argument he's trying to make is that by playing it down, that prevents a panic. But by playing it down, he's causing people to not take precautions.
1: So he's done a lot more to cause people not to take precautions than just playing it down. There's the refusal to take precautions himself. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, I mean, he admitted it. It's on tape. He admitted it. He was downplaying it on purpose, and he knew how deadly it was all the way back in February. He knew. He fucking knew. The entire time.
1: Isn't it bizarre that this president who holds what will undoubtedly be a forever record for lies president in office. Um, He does fairly regularly tell the truth. Yeah. He admits the things that politicians aren't supposed to admit. Yeah. Um,
0: Well, oftentimes it's because he's too dumb to realize how incriminating it is to admit it. And, and the thing is, Back when during the early days of coronavirus, the thing I was wrong about was I honestly did think that the reason why he was downplaying it was because he was just an idiot. He he I thought that he honestly didn't realize how potentially dangerous it was. I thought that he was too stupid to realize that, Okay, well, the numbers are small now, but eventually it increases. That's what I thought apparently he wasn't that stupid apparently he has been nefariously and maliciously trying to cover this up this entire time and to downplay it this entire time
1: it can be difficult to distinguish stupidity from evil sometimes
0: yeah exactly so the the the, the a
1: weird thing about this is he's telling this to Bob Woodward so I've I have known about bob woodward ever since i was a little kid yeah um i remember uh listening to reports um of from his reporting my father reading about it in the um newspaper um bob woodward was one of the two that um kept working at the details of the watergate break-in yep and him and uh, Carl Bernstein, and they single hand, double-handedly, four double-handedly. between them, their four hands, yeah. they four-handedly <laughs> <laughs> took down the president of the United States, yeah, Richard Nixon, yeah. So, so here is Trump talking to. Woodward, famous for having taken down a Republican for his, yeah. for his lies. Yeah. Um, and decides to tell him, oh yeah, I'm lying to the American public, playing down the severity of this. Yeah. Because I don't want them to panic. Well, you know... That's that is kind of an interesting thing. There's there's always this um, this idea that somehow if the American public were to know the truth, they would panic and that would be worse. Yeah. Than, um than secrecy. And I I've just never believed that. That's no,
0: Crap. I've never believed that either. People.
1: If you knew the truth, you would panic and all would be lost. You know,
0: That is so disrespectful. I already panic at all the things that I don't know. You know, I, I mean, the fact that there is so much that the government was doing before, you know, even before uh, Edward Snowden revealed the extent of the domestic surveillance that caused me. Not, it, it didn't cause me to panic over what I knew then. It caused me to panic over what I'm sure that I don't know about what the government is also doing. And, and look, I've you know i talked about this on the podcast before. I'm, I'm a civil libertarian. I don't want the government to have a, any significant power over people's personal lives. And the fact that that required a whistleblower who then had to flee the country in order for us to know the truth that that's concerning.
1: Yeah. I'm not going to
0: defend Edward Snowden. I know. I know how you Um, feel about Edward Snowden, but you know, there,
1: there, there were correct ways of doing it. And his way was not.
0: I, 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 I understand your point. Um, you know, my father and I have had this conversation before. Um, my father doesn't, Approve of the fact that he went to Russia, which notoriously does oppress its people and does what the United States does, but even worse, which I I, I agree with that point. But ultimately, I I do hold the position that he's a hero.
1: I and I don't. I think yeah, I he undermined his entire argument by letting himself become a pawn to Russia.
0: Yeah. Well, anyway, we're, we're a little off topic. <laughs>
1: and and that's why he's not a hero. Right. He undermined the point that it was a good point to make. And he ruined it by his caving into Russia.
0: Wait, wait, are we talking about Edward Snowden or are we talking about Donald Trump now? Yes. So that's part of the reason that I was bringing this up.
1: Because, you know, I was, when I, I, I've been doing this a lot on your podcast these two times when I was a kid. Yep.
0: Back in my day. One of
1: the things that, one of the most common things for Republicans to say was better dead than red. Yeah and um just funny because red is the color of the Republican party so it wasn't back then really yes huh. yes the the whole red republican blue democrat thing that i believe didn't happen until the um the bush versus gore hmm. fight and i think it basically had to do with a media deciding to use those colors on their maps. And it just kind of stuck since then, but no, no, it was definitely not red and blue. Then red was considered communist. And specifically when the Republicans talked about the red scare, they were really talking about Russia as opposed to China. Yeah. Um, which also uses red in their flag. Yeah. Um, the but now Republicans are actually apologizing for Russia. Yeah. And using red as their campaign color. It's it's bizarre. You know, old people like me just think. Yeah. I don't. don't I've, I don't necessarily I've,
0: think he- that those two are related, though. I've heard I, about. I really don't. Is.
1: You don't think there could be a connection?
0: I don't think I think well, like you said, it it was probably just some type of media thing that stuck. I, I don't really think there's a connection. But so I, I the
1: the reason I think there's a connection is because there there was this previous generation that was so anti red. And when the Republican Party started to be associated with the color red, I think it made people Subconsciously think, oh, red is good after all. Um, I guess now we're the communist
0: party. I don't know. I <laughs> they're definitely not the communist party. Um, but aren't I, they? I, no. Aren't they? No, they aren't. They're <laughs> they aren't. Um, but 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 anyway, I, I we are getting a little bit off track. One one important point that I want to make in this specific area is the gaslighting responses that a lot of Trump defenders have. Come out and done. I mean, you have um uh McEnany, uh the the Trump's press secretary, come out and basically straight up said, the president never downplayed the virus. It's on tape. It's it's on tape. Oh, he yeah. admitted to it on tape. You cannot tell me he never said it. It is on tape. So, but that's
1: happened a lot. Um he's his press secretaries have often insisted things, only to have Trump come out and well. But this was after the truth. This
0: was after the tape came out, and when everybody was saying, "Yeah, he downplayed it," he admitted to it. She was like, "Oh, oh, no, 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 he never did that." And then you also had uh, John Kennedy, um, uh, the Republican senator John Kennedy, who basically made the argument that this is just a gotcha book and gotcha books don't interest me. Um, he said, quote, my experience has not been that the Trump administration ignored the virus. Quite the contrary. Really? So please tell me exactly what quadrant of the galaxy that your experience is based in, because it's certainly not on planet earth. Um, you know,
1: people have made a lot of this to America's thing. Um, and is is it possible that we're living in parallel universes
0: where there's I don't know. Well, but the thing is there are I mean there are people that change their minds though. Michael used to be a libertarian.
1: Oh, are we going to attack Michael since he's not here? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was that was not a jab, you know. It's 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 good and intellectually honest to change your mind when presented with facts especially if a lot of those facts were supplied by yours truly. You're welcome, Michael, <laughs> I, <laughs> or at least pointed out by yours truly not supplied.
1: So I, I'm just remembering times long ago when you would make libertarian arguments and I would argue against you.
0: Well, that still happens. I still make, that's true. I, I, that still does happen. We, we still do sometimes have arguments about guns and such. Um, but, the main the last point that i want to make on this is we have him on tape he knew and the thing is they're going to try to pretend this doesn't exist they're going to try to jedi mind trick you and try to be like what you're saying what you're seeing and what you're hearing is not what's happening they're going to try to do that and that's been par for the course from the very beginning But if you're just now starting to realize, huh, maybe the Trump administration is lying about this because you've heard the tapes and then you're seeing them pretend that those tapes don't exist, you should spend some time reflecting on that for a second. Because if they are clearly lying about this, maybe question some other things that he might have been lying about. For example, the fact that there was a quadruple corroboration... On Trump saying, Trump calling dead American soldiers suckers and losers, while everybody, where while a bunch of surrogates on the right were just like, "Oh no, it's totally fake news." Uh, So it's just made up.
1: One of those corroborations was was a Fox News correspondent. It was Fox News
0: who is now getting threats.
1: Yeah. So specifically from the president. So the president is trying to get her fired.
0: Yeah. So if if. This is clearly a lie, which you can verify it easily, so easily, because it's on tape. Maybe this isn't a truthful administration.
1: So one of the big differences between Bob Woodward's uh, exposés on Nixon and his exposés here on Trump is that there were some Republicans, very few, but some, who, when they were faced with the facts, decided they could not support Nixon. And it was those Republicans that couldn't support Nixon that led to Nixon's resignation. Yep. Now, when a similar thing happened with the, um, the impeachment of Trump, every single Republican held solid except Romney ah yes I'm sorry and, um, and almost ju- almost every Republican
0: and Justin Amash I know that he I know that he's technically an independent now but he's mm-hmm. a Republican
1: apparently there are enough Republicans in the Senate who've decided that they will back him no matter what he says yep so so what that means is we can't count on Bob Woodward yeah we can't count on the republicans in the senate uh the only way to end this is at the ballot box
0: yep which brings us to tips for good so now it's
1: time for one of our more positive segments tips for good nathan why do
0: we do tips for good well dad we do tips for good every week because like a tardis Giving tips for good makes us feel bigger on the inside. Okay, having cut my reply. <laughs> 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 and also making the world a better place. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's make the world a better place. So dad, what is our tip for good this
1: week? So this is something that I have tried to impart to my students over the years. It's the idea about the difference between a due date and and a deadline Hmm. see a due date is the time that you should actually do something but a deadline is the last possible time that you can do something Hmm. right so when something is a deadline you don't wait until the deadline to do it especially if it's important Hmm. Um, waiting for the deadline risks something going wrong and then you missing the deadline so I always encourage students do it early, do it early, do it early. Don't wait till the deadline. I even have been known to say only an idiot would wait for the
0: deadline to turn in this paper. Oh yeah, I've 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 gotten I've I have I've heard that from many of your students. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how many people will
1: wait till the deadline anyway.
0: Yeah. But the reason So, so how does how does that relate? See, the to reason
1: what we're this is relevant about. now is because Voting for the election that most people think of as the November election um, is actually opening in many states very soon. Here in Virginia, um, early in-person voting begins, is it 45 days before the election? Um, Sounds about right. It comes out to the 18th of September, which is this coming Friday.
0: Yeah. Uh, make sure that you uh, look at specifically what your uh, o- early voting period is in your specific state. So I
1: am planning to vote in the early voting rather than wait for the deadline of Election Day. Yeah. Because I don't know what's going to happen on Election Day. Yeah. One of the things I'm really concerned about is sickness and it's not that i'm worried about getting sick by going to the poll. what i'm worried about is what happens if i contract COVID, uh contract the um sars covid, COVID coronavirus 2 um, if i were to contract that toward the last minute near the time of the election i would not feel responsible going to the polls and potentially exposing other people. So what I'm going to do is assuming I'm healthy, I'm going to vote as soon as I possibly can. Yeah. And that way I won't have to worry about what might happen when it gets closer to the
0: deadline. Yeah. So this definitely does relate to this particular election cycle. Uh, I would say that in any other year I would vote in person on election day. Um, But definitely this year, as as dad said, you really do want to think of election day as a deadline and uh, a due date as when you should have that early voting done. So make sure to read the laws in your states. Make sure that you do your early voting.
1: There is one. Your vote is due during early voting. (laughs) Yeah. Deadline is the November.
0: And that's tips for good. All right. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about vaccines, because I'm sure a lot of you have heard some news regarding expediting the process of approving a certain vaccine. So, Dad, why don't you tell us about what that means?
1: So there has been a lot of news lately and um, and part of this came up because of instructions from the Centers for Disease Control to states to begin preparing to distribute vaccine. And depending on the, the vaccine that ends up ultimately getting approved, distributing it could be really complicated. Hmm. Um, for example, some of the vaccines that are under um, testing uh, right now will end up requiring extreme refrigeration while there are, while they are in storage waiting. Um, Not just your normal freezer. We're talking about they, they might require something like minus 70 degrees. Hmm. Um, So a laboratory type freezer, not something that every physician's office or every health department office already has. Um, That could make it extremely difficult to distribute. And so, it is absolutely correct to send out instructions telling the states that they're, they've got to start working on their plan for distribution. The, where it went wrong was to suggest that they might actually be starting distribution before election day. Yeah. Um, that can't possibly happen. Yeah. And the reason it can't possibly happen is because the um, to go through the um, phase three trials, it takes time. the The earliest one, the earliest uh, vaccine trial, and and with this one they actually combined phase two and phase three at the same time. This was a way of getting things much faster. This is referred to as Operation Warp Speed. Hmm. Um, It does get faster, but for the phase three trial, you actually have to give the vaccine to people. This particular one comes, uh, the, the trial that they're doing is going to be in two doses. Those doses have to be a month apart. The earliest people to have signed up might just be ready to get their second dose this week, possibly the beginning of this week it will take another month to see what antibodies those people end up producing but in phase three it's not enough to just look and see what antibodies somebody produces you need to actually have people who've been vaccinated get exposed and look at whether or not they are protected um so one of the reasons that the United States is quite possibly going to be ahead of the game is because we have such rampant infection that we might actually have people getting infected more quickly and therefore get our information more quickly about whether they're actually protected. If you do one of these trials and all of the people in your test end up not getting exposed to the disease, then you don't have the data you need to know whether it worked. So um, it simply is not possible to have people get their second dose, build up their antibodies, then get exposed, then wait the next month to find out what the course of their disease was, there's not enough time for that data to come in before the election. Hmm. It is absolutely impossible. And, and that is why we saw in a full page ad in the Washington post this week, um, the major, um, pharmaceutical companies that are working on vaccines right now have all signed an open letter stating that they will not shortcut safety tests for the yeah. vaccine. Yeah. Now the open letter didn't specifically say the election day stuff was bullshit. Hmm. Don't worry. We're not going to release something before the election because there's no way it can happen. But they, but what they meant was that because what they said
0: was that they will
1: not shortcut the safety procedures
0: and to be clear we do want there to be a vaccine as fast as possible but a safe vaccine as fast as possible because the longer that there isn't a vaccine the more people are dying the more people are contracting the disease and we want that to end we want this this pandemic to end and hell if it was possible for it to end before election day because a safe vaccine was developed then that would be great. I don't care if it helps Trump. I want this I want this crap over. But and over before election
1: day, you know, what a dream that would be. Yeah. It would be nice. But um that would require um approval under emergency use author- authorization. Yeah. Um that and and it could be done, right? You could shortcut those trials except that the makers have said they're not going to do that. And the reason they said they're not going to do that is because shortcutting the uh, safety trials has been done before. Really? When is that? This was during the Ford administration. Um, You're, Older listeners may remember (laughs) that Ford became president after Richard Nixon resigned. Um, And at that time there was a rather dangerous swine flu going around. Now it was nothing like the um, pandemic that we're looking at today. Um, But it was, it was a very serious flu and Ford was looking in an election year, he was looking for some way to demonstrate his decisiveness and he shortcutted the approval process in hopes of um, an effect before election day. Now, I know you've argued before that um, as soon as Ford pardoned Nixon, he was essentially he was assuming that he would yeah. never be. No, he's like, he, he's like, he was trying.
0: I'll be enough of a historic footnote. I was the president. That's good enough.
1: He was trying to be reelected. And it was never going to happen. That uh, expedited vaccine turned out to be a disaster. Yeah. Um, now, you know, you might expedite a vaccine and it might turn out to be fine. Uh, but in this case, it caused some severe neurological issues, um, something called Guillain-Barre syndrome. And many of the people who got that vaccine were paralyzed, most of them temporarily. That's yeah. how Guillain-Barre syndrome works. But many of them had paralysis that ended up being permanent. This was a terrible disaster. And it's one of the things that can happen If you're not careful with vaccines and And don't know until you go through the
0: safety trials. And one thing that's very important to say, because I know that I I feel like there are some people listening that are thinking, hold on, is the perspectrum going full on anti-vaxxer? Hell, Hell no. No, that is not what we're saying. What we're saying is the fact that there needs to be a certain safety protocol for everything that is put into your body for the sake of. Of medicine. And in fact, the reason why anti vaxxers are full of shit is because they don't understand the important safety steps that are taken in order to ensure that vaccines are safe. And the problem with this is that if a vaccine skips steps and ends up being distributed to the public to become unsafe. People that aren't intellectually honest or curious enough to recognize, oh, well, it's obviously because they overrode safety protocols, might think this means that the anti-vax ideology was right all along, and they are not. They have not been, they never have been, but that doesn't mean that we can override safety protocols.
1: It's... It would be really dangerous, um, not just for this pandemic, but for the next, if we were to undermine the confidence in that system.
0: Yeah. That does work. I've already seen some really idiotic uh, posts on social media. There's this, this one guy that I saw post something where he was basically like, Hey, you think you're mad at me when I refuse to wear a mask? Imagine how mad at me you'll be when I refuse to have a vaccine. It's like you realize you're 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 terrible, right? You realize that you you're not edgy, you're not cool, you're you're terrible, right? But but that's but that is an attitude that I look, I don't want to attribute that attitude to everybody on the right. I don't even necessarily want to attribute that pompous attitude to everyone who's an anti vaxxer They suck for other reasons. But It is a dangerous attitude to spread around. The idea of being against steps to fight the virus somehow makes you edgy or cool. But that's not what we're trying to do when we're talking about the importance of having a vaccine safely, but not promptly.
1: I want to see the data. Yeah. I, and I will look at the actual data when I decide to get a vaccine. Um, and I will listen to other scientists. Again, our last week we talked about the, um, the podcast, uh, This Week in Virology. Um, I'm going to want to hear what Vincent Racaniello has to say about the um, vaccines as they're approved. Um, I'm, I'm going to... Get real information, uh, and I hope that your listeners will seek yeah. out real information too.
0: Yeah. Please, when it comes to scientific information, please, 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 don't just come to this podcast. <laughs> we 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 try to do our best to tell you the truth about what's going on, but we're you know we're not scientists. Well, Dad is a scientist, but he's not on every week. So make sure that you are seeking out scientific information from actual, sci- actually scientific sources. Again, I'm not saying go on to CNN and see what they have to say about science. They don't know shit about that stuff. Look up actual research papers, actual interviews of actual scientists who are scientists in the field that they're actually talking about. Because too often you also have people that have a PhD in something completely irrelevant to what they're actually talking about. So also make sure that the person that you're hearing talking actually is an expert in what they're talking about.
1: There are some really good um, scientific podcasts these days. And, um, you know, This Week in Virology is a good one. Uh, There are a number of others that you can find on microbe.tv. And uh, and NPR has some good podcasts with real scientists. Um, There's tend to be short. Yeah. uh, And... Be a good and a little bit easier to absorb for people who are not scientists themselves, um, but a lot of the NPR con uh, podcasts that are related to COVID have been quite good.
0: And now it's time for our favorite segment, Ass Hat of, of the, the week. week. So, Dad, who is our Ass Hat this week? Uh, our ass hat is an old
1: favorite, Michelle Bachman. Yes. Who we last um,
0: knew as a candidate running against Trump, right? No, no. Trump was not in the, the 2012 Oh, no, that was, that was back to 2012. Yeah, that was 2012. Oh. Yeah. Um, she, was, she was the candidate. That was a front runner temporarily, so and then immediately if remember, lost.
1: If I remember, twenty twelve, there were a whole bunch
0: of front runners. Yeah, there was a front There was a there was a front, was runner, a front runner of like, the week. Yeah, basically. every week with, and um, then they would do something really stupid, and then they flame fall. out. Uh, in and her the, case, and the
1: number two person the whole time was was Romney. Was Romney?
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> ultimately, she flamed out because people found out she was an anti vaxxer.
1: Yes, that's back right. when
0: back when apparently expressing stuff like that, uh still, you know, disqualified, still disqualified Republicans you. from considerations like she was disqualified because she was she expressed uh, anti-vaxxer conspiracy BS. Um, Rick Perry was disqualified because he said something super stupid in a debate and people realized he didn't know what he was talking about. Um, Herman Cain was disqualified because he was accused of sexual assault. All three of those things happened to Trump and he became president. So that's how far we've come. Interesting Anyways, So are you
1: going to Let's actually talk about Are you about, going to do um Michelle Bachman voice when you quote her here?
0: Uh, probably not. I d I don't think <laughs> I I don't think I can do that uh, and and stay sane. That that I, I never do a Trump voice when I quote him. Don't. Um yeah. <laughs> um Anyway, so Michelle Bachman, who is a former congresswoman before she was a presidential candidate, and she was on uh, Kenneth Copeland's program, uh, the, the Victory Channel podcast yeah, it, program, it's, in- internet stuff. It's an evangelical
1: Christian show that yeah. I think has been going on for like 50 years.
0: Yeah. Anyway, she had some, some things to say about Black Lives Matter. So it started out, she was talking about Antifa. And then she kind of she was talking about how Antifa was trying to overthrow the United States government and bring communism to America. And then she brought that same concept to Black Lives Matter. She said, quote, just like Black Lives Matter, this is not a new movement either on their website. These are transgender Marxist transgender black Marxists who are seeking to overthrow the United States and the dissolution of the traditional family transgender black marxists like if if i were to come up with a parody of a republican talking about democrats or Let's talking about be black afraid Lives Matter, of transgender black marxists <laughs> that is that's what i would go with i mean it sounds and, like a cartoon yeah and you know after she did this i I, after she said this i actually i went on black lives matter on the black lives matter website because the last time i was there i didn't notice the parts where they talked about being marxist um and and i just i couldn't find it so she must be seeing something that i'm not um (laughs) well um so the antifa thing i
1: guess is what makes her think marxist
0: but so Antifa you know, has... I mean, they have Marxists, they have anti, socialists,
1: they have social Democrats. If you're anti-fascist,
0: yeah. does that automatically mean Marxist? No. I, I mean, I... And Antifa isn't really an official group that has an official hierarchy. It's more of a, you know, a bunch of so, autonomous... So
1: not according to the interviewer on um, the Kenneth Copeland show. Yeah. Um, He, he claimed that the group has a continuous history from back uh before world war 1 i'm not sure that's true <laughs> <laughs> i i yeah. don't think that's true either he he also specifically faulted antifa for fighting against hitler yeah um and i was thinking wait are are you supposed to be yeah. casting doubt on yeah. Antifa by it's, saying that they fought against Hitler? Yeah, wait Wait a second, which th- side are you on? <laughs> yeah. What is this?
0: Yeah, that was the weirdest part. He seemed to be saying that they were fighting Hitler and he was saying that as a bad thing. You know who else was fighting Hitler? The uh, United States! Yeah, we did that. You know? <laughs> you know all those Antifa radicals that stormed Normandy? Like... Those were our guys. And Um, and we used used to call those people the greatest generation. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Apparently they're (laughs) apparently they're uh, I don't know. And then and then later she even brought up the fact that it sounds melodramatic. She was like, you say, aren't you a little overheated? Isn't this melodramatic? This is exactly what the communist revolution looks like. They think they're going to do it by electing Joe Biden. And then once Joe Biden is elected, they think that those Davos-Switzerland meetings that go on, they think that what they're going to do is have the United States economy collapse, move to digital currency globally, and then we move into a global-type government. Whew, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, first off, digital currency. Is that in Biden's platform? No, it's not. And it's not in the platform for the communists either <laughs> i don't know if you realize this but 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 communism is like actual communism as marx had written about was the abolition of currency because it's the abolition of class so it makes no sense that they're trying to move to a global currency but also i love this whole the communists think that if if Joe Biden is elected, that's going to herald the communist revolution. I, actual communists. I know some actual communists and they hate Joe Biden. <laughs> A lot of them weren't even huge fans of Bernie Sanders. But like, I, oh, my God. And, and the worst part is, I think, oh, my God, this woman was the frontrunner in the Republican primary and she could have been president. And then so, I remember so Trump actually became president. So let's be fair. She was
1: front runner for a very short period of time. And as soon as scrutiny fell upon her, she was out. Yeah. Um, You know, I think that means that not many Republicans were really convinced by her at all. I I wanted to say something else about her interview because she went on after that (laughs) to claim that all of this was foreseen by the prophets as reported in the bible mm. um she claimed that those people who knew their bible mm. would recognize all of this you know what i've done a lot of bible reading i know a lot of bible yeah haven't you read like eight different versions of the bible um so six but <laughs> six you know um Plus a lot of the supporting documents, I can assure you that transgender black Marxists are not prophesied in the Bible. They are
0: not. That's actually kind of disappointing. I feel like it would be a much more interesting book. The if, prophets, if it, if it did have that the prophets did not see that one coming so congratulations to michelle bachman for, for being, being our hat of, of the week. week today we are joined by michael's brother chris bloom and his fiance gabby sprav who have been attending several protests in the New York City area. And we wanted to have them come on just so we could talk a little bit about what it's been like on the ground and what people are seeing and whether that what people are actually seeing is what's being reported in certain media outlets. So thank you so much for joining us, both of you.
2: Thank you for having us. Yeah. absolutely. Happy to.
0: So before we get started with what things are like on the ground, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about what all you have been able to do so far? So like how many, how many protests have you been able to go to? And overall, what have you been seeing in a general sense?
2: Yeah, we've been able to do only a couple here in the city. And I think the biggest one that we were able to go to was the March on Washington, uh, which was this past month in August, on August 28th. And that one was, I would say, one of the most impactful protests and, and marches that we've been to. There were so many people and it was honestly, it was a beautiful day because there were moments of obviously you know, sadness hearing from the families of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. But then also the march itself was kind of like a party, which I think is something that uh, isn't seen a lot and and should be noted is it's it's actually pretty joyful what what happens out in the streets. So just you know a couple here and there. Chris has done some some bike protests as well.
3: Yeah, I have done a, a a few more protests than Gab, um, and I think that that is a feature of the protests I've been a part of that I think is worth highlighting is that the folks who are protesting, the reason they're protesting is because there's something about their lives that is bad and unhappy or something like that. There's something, there's a way that they are oppressed. So they're not coming out, like any of the protests I've been to, the people are not coming out to do anything other than try to create joy. Mm -hmm. yeah, Affirmation and assert, I am good, I am worthy, I am valuable, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um I personally have not seen protests that were predominantly about anything other than celebrating the people who we were protesting for.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So celebrating their lives and uh celebrating the contribution that they've had to the conversation then?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. And One, there was an evening where we went to a a Trans Lives Matter protest um, here in New York. And, you know, the police presence is substantial. Mm -hmm. And protesting against over-policing and against police brutality are some of the reasons we're there. And there is a Mm -hmm. great deal of anger. Like passing, passing, you know, a dozen police officers Um, a raid perhaps to make sure we're safe but potentially to not unclear you know what i mean like you as a protester when you're walking down the street and you pass a dozen cops in riot gear um you know with with like police vans and and other cars and that kind of thing you hope that they're that they're there to protect your rights, but like you, you can't really be sure. And in those moments, that's when you see the anger. That's when you see, um, oh, let's see, one of the chances. How do you spell racist NYPD? How do you um, spell fascist NYPD? Oh wow! Um, another yeah. one is they'll yell they'll yell ACAB, mm-hmm. which stands stands for uh, all cops are bastards. Hmm. Um, so you do see anger in those moments and there are, it gets, it gets scary. Like at this trans march that we did, we, we marched, um, you know, through, uh, the South of Manhattan and ended right outside city hall, um, in a large courtyard area. So we weren't blocking traffic and there were several hundred people and there were speeches and a lot of, that's where the celebration, a lot of the affirmation, a lot of the affirmation and affirming things happened and it was quite beautiful. Um, but it started to go like towards sunset, mm-hmm. and Gabby and myself and the two um our two friends who we were with were like, okay Time we don't <laughs> we don't do this after dark, <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah,
3: and as we're headed to the train, I swear to god there were there were sixty at least at sixty least. police officers at just least. on the other side of the street,
2: just lined up and waiting and I don't know what they're
3: waiting for, mm-hmm. are they waiting for us to get violent or are they waiting to step in like there's at That The distrust I currently have for the NYPD is is as deep as it can get.
1: Yeah. This is one of the things that really disturbs me because it's not what I experienced. You know, when I was in college in the 80s, I went to protests. And um, maybe part of it was because when I went to protests, it was in D.C. And the D.C. cops were famous for being trained to deal with protests because it's dc because it's dc um I, i but you know that the the police there were very friendly very respectful and you really got the feeling that they considered it to be part of their job to help protect the right of people to have protests yeah
3: Um
1: however my my earliest memories of watching protests back in the 1960s were not that way at all Mm. back in the 1960s it seemed like the specific purpose of the police was to act against the protesters Mm. Mm. and so i you know i wonder are, are we back to the 60s yeah
0: Well, you had mentioned that you all went to Washington, D.C. Out of curiosity, did you notice any difference between how the cops treated protesters in D.C. and how they treated
3: and how they've treated protesters in New York?
2: Honestly, we didn't see many cops.
3: I don't recall seeing any cops at the March on Washington.
2: At all, which was really interesting because I was expecting to see a lot and we didn't I mean, the most we, we saw, like, saw a
3: we saw a couple, a
2: couple, and they were mostly like in cars, just kind of making sure that the barricades were, were good and that people were kind of lining up where they need to be line, lined up. But it, the cops that we did see and the fire department that was there were being helpful. Like they were helping the organization because I mean, it was a huge crowd of people. So they were making sure that the lines were well organized and things like that. But we really didn't see many cops at all, which I think kind of added to the the feeling of the day, like there was no negativity, there was no pressure, there was no you didn't have that unnerving vibe that is that we felt here in New York City. We yeah. didn't feel that at all, which well. was really it was it was really profound the difference.
0: Interesting. interesting um and real quick i i want to get back to this idea of you know the anger that's being felt um to what extent have uh gabby have you personally felt that anger and also to what extent have you seen that anger translate into um into some of the more uh, aggressive tendencies that we've been seeing portrayed on media on the media and translate into um sort of less aggressive uh tactics.
2: Uh I mean for me personally I I think just because of the type of person that I am I've never gotten to such an angry place that I I have seen a lot of people rightfully get to. I yeah. I'm a very peaceful person. So I think for me, it's the, instead of it being anger, it's been more sadness and it's been more frustration and exhaustion. Yeah. But I think a difference, like some, you know, for example, between me and my father, I, I witnessed him growing up being put in so many difficult positions of him being oppressed and him being discriminated against and I saw that anger build inside of him for years but I never saw him get to you know that boiling point where he just he he can't control it anymore but I have seen him get very close and and rightfully so I mean him growing up being a black man the things that he has gone through and witnessed and, and, and been subjected to, I can, I only know stories. And I only know what I've seen myself. And I only know what he's allowed me to see. And I commend him for not doing what I've seen a lot of people doing. Like I commend him for not getting to that place of, you know, a lot of people see it as that place of no return. And I think something that isn't, isn't being talked about as much and isn't really being understood is the why behind the anger.
0: Yeah. You
2: know like the why behind why so many people feel the way that they do and why people get to that point because they're just fed up. You know, it's it's
0: yeah.
2: how many years have we been fighting this fight? It's yeah. it's crazy, you know? Like we're we're in 2020 and after a while it's just kind of like come on, you know, this we're tired. You know, we're really tired
0: yeah there's there's a study that came out recently um I, I, I forget i forget which publication did it um but it basically showed that approximately like it was like ninety two percent of all uh protests have been completely peaceful so one oh, yeah. question that I'm curious about uh what you what you all think is to what extent does that reflect the reality that you have witnessed And to what extent should that matter?
3: Mm. Um, The second part of that one is really hard. That's a hard one. (laughs) So, so part first. Um, So, firsthand, I have witnessed only peaceful protests. I've been a part of only peaceful protests. Um, One level removed, I have friends who have been in the protests that turned violent. I have friends that have seen police cars burned in Brooklyn. I have friends that have been tear gassed in Richmond over and over again. Yeah,
0: we talked to Ted uh, on the pod about that. Yeah, he he had mentioned that he got tear gassed while he was just sitting on his front porch. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, Ted's been tear gassed three times.
0: (sighs) Yeah, yeah.
3: I also, we also have uh, some good friends that live in downtown Minneapolis. Hmm. Um, So like, I know from a pretty close standpoint, like people who have experienced when the protests like get ugly. Yeah. Um, And I can tell you from the two people whom I know who have been in those protests here in New York, um, which is that, like the igniting things were not the protesters that they saw.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting.
3: The igniting things was a cop doing something. And that tipped that balance mm-hmm. over. We're hovering. We have tension. There's a lot of tension. There's a great deal of electricity in the air. And then something happened with the police officer. And then the protesters Yeah, couldn't. That,
0: that kind of feels like a metaphor for the entire protest, basically. Yeah. Maybe not a metaphor maybe maybe not a metaphor, but like a, you know, an allegory. <laughs> right.
1: You yeah. Know, I was yeah. I was talking to Nathan a little bit about some of the things I remember from the protests back in the '60s, and one of the key things that happened then is um, people would go to training sessions ahead of time. On how to de-escalate when the police come in, and it, it was so odd that it became the responsibility of the protesters to mm-hmm. somehow soothe the police and stop them from overreacting, when yep. it should be the other way around. Yeah. But that's that's what it was. That's what had to be done, and that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons that um, that King was so successful. Um, he was able to actually um, get the people who were with him to be seen on camera soothing the police to yeah. keep them from going. That, that imagery was pretty profound. It should be the responsibility of the police to de-escalate.
3: Exactly. But like well, in see, the
1: sixties it was the responsibility of the protesters to de-escalate. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And I think I think that something that's become clear now is that like that type of that type of thing is not something that I think that we're we're willing to do anymore. Like I think those protests and that movement in the sixties accomplished so much. And then building from where they, where they kind of, well, they didn't, that, that really didn't end, but building from there, I, I think that we're at the point now where, okay, now we're not, now we're not giving you that escape hatch anymore. Now, now we need to actually address policing.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. And what is wrong with policing?
0: So I I do want to get back to the question earlier. I know that this is a rough question, but to, to what extent, does the fact that over 90 percent of all being of all protests being peaceful to what extent does that fact matter
2: it's a hard one because i it i'd say it's a 50 50 of it mattering and it not mattering i think it is i think the the peaceful part of it and is powerful. I think there's also that side of it's been a constant protest with peace, protest with peace, protest with peace and then after a while you're like okay, well this clearly isn't doing enough. So then I I think a lot of people have gotten to a point of okay, well what if we what if we keep the peace up until yeah you know we are up until that point of our boundaries being tested and then when that happens what if instead of us backing down what if we fight yeah and i and i think that it's come to that because peace got us to where we are today peace peace has brought us a lot of of change but it's not enough change yeah so I I think that's why it's so hard because it's it's one of those 50/50 50, 50 things of well we've been doing this this way for such a long time and now we're trying to figure out okay what what else what yeah. else is there.
3: I feel like I feel like what I witness as a person, you know, like as a white person, you know, I I, I may care very deeply about this. I may be in love with this woman right next to me and I, and also want to be good with humankind. But this the amount that I can identify with Things is somewhat limited, yeah, by my whiteness, yeah um, but i what I really think that I'm seeing when I watch or when I hear about you know a news story where like in Kenosha recently, where like right after Jacob Blake was shot, like nights of violent chaos, yeah like what you're I think people get wrongly focused on the damage and not focused on realizing that you're watching a people get pushed to their absolute breaking point. Yeah, And what you're seeing is you're watching them break.
0: Yeah. And one thing that I thought was interesting was a lot of the reactions after the Kenosha shooting. Um, we talked about in the last pod about Tucker Carlson's reaction, which was basically, well, are we surprised that rioting and looting turns to murder? Not realizing that the rioting and the looting happened because of murder, because of the, you know, systematic murder yeah. of, um, of black folk at the hands of police officers, mm-hmm. which doesn't seem to count in a lot of people's minds. Is that, is that something that you've, that you all have uh, felt?
3: It's called racism.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. There's definitely, yeah, that's definitely an appropriate word for that.
2: Yeah, I mean, it it does. It gets to a place. It gets to the point of like, you know, why we're talking about the rioting and the looting is a waste of news space, in my opinion. You know, like, yes, it's there and it's happening, and it's some of it. It is unfortunate, you know, these businesses and and all this stuff that's going on, but someone's life, people's life, a people's life, you know, my life I think is way more important than, you know, your insurance and co- covered building or something like that. And I think there is obvious, you know, there are going to be obvious lows where it's going to suck for a lot of people. It's going to suck for a lot of businesses, Yeah. but there's there's just such a bigger picture that yeah. we're that we're trying to push and and it's interesting like the it, the news is way it's really quiet you know right now in terms of the protests like it would for some for such a long time every day it was something about a protest here a protest there and there are still so many protests going on here in new york every weekend but you don't hear about it as much because there's not as much looting there's not as you know as much all rioting happening and I think, you know, it's, it's really important to see the difference between that. Yeah. So
1: peace isn't news, but looting and rioting is?
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: So <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about um, what it has looked like on the ground. How, how diverse are the protesters? If you've seen counter protesters, how diverse are the counter protesters? What, what does it look like?
2: Well, the protesters are very diverse. I mean, it honestly like, it really is kind of a party when, you, when you're out there because there's so many different types of people. There, there's so many different races, ethnicities. I mean, we have, there's queer people. where We're all chanting for not only Black Lives Matter, but we're saying trans lives matter. We're saying, you know, everything on the board matters. And it's really beautiful to see so many different types of people out on the streets and doing it together i i mean i haven't really seen counter
3: we haven't seen any counter protesters. Yeah, not not
2: in new york really mm. um we we were staying in georgia for a while with uh my mom there we saw some you know not many protests are happening but it was a lot of the bumper stickers and riding on car- on cars, Trump, Pence definitely yeah. got louder yeah. as, as uh-huh. the days went on.
3: Yeah. And I think, so something that I've also been doing here is bike protests. So there are actually, there are very consistent um, weekly bike protests in the city. Um, Friday nights put on by street riders nyc and then on saturdays mbr cycling does a bike protest and i've done some and um it's really it's really quite amazing because you bike 20 miles with thousands of other bikers and protest and chant and it's remarkable the coordination they have an advanced team that goes in waves so from one street to block the traffic for all the bikers to pass, and then while those people are stationary blocking that traffic, there's another team that goes to the next street, and so on. It's an, it's unbelievably coordinated. And those protests have been extremely diverse, like they're, they're as diverse as New York City. Yeah. It's like, is that, yeah. is that what it feels like? It feels like you're just seeing the population of New York yeah. City.
0: I, I, I did kind of assume that protests in New York would probably be relatively diverse because it is a very diverse city. So
1: among the police, do the police reflect the diversity of the city?
2: Uh, better than most
3: places. Yeah,
2: I'd say better than most places. I'd say like, I mean, we are in New York, so Diversity-wise, I think there, there's a lot of diversity in many aspects of New York.
3: I'm trying to think about, so last night, so I, I, I've been delivering Uber Eats to make extra money because thank you, Congress, no unemployment. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, I, I, I laugh so I won't cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. I, I could really use that anyway so last night i was in a chinese restaurant and there was a guy who was recently released from prison he was wearing an ankle bracelet and he, he he was clearly having a hard time mentally and anxiety wise and that kind of thing he starts yelling at one of the people in the chinese restaurant the cops were called so i'm now thinking about the cops that came and there were six of them that came to talk to this guy and now that i think about it I think one of them was like at least from looking at them identifiably white.
2: Mm-hmm. Which is, but that's
3: one out of 6. Like the
2: It's NYPD is
3: NYPD is diverse. definitely more diverse than other police departments. And they have other they have some practices that I think are better like they clearly have um op- like openness about hair like you see you see people being able to use their culturally specific hairstyles. You see I I've, I've seen Sikhs, you know, with in a turban and, and their uniform and that kind of thing. Excuse me, sex.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It's pronounced sex sick, mm-hmm. sick sick sick. Um anyway.
2: Pretty pretty diverse.
0: Well, Chris, Gabby, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate having you on and keep up that fight.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for having
0: us. So now we're going to go ahead and end our podcast on a positive note with our highlights. So, Dad, what are your highlights this week? So my highlight for
1: this week is going to be something very recent. I just got to see one of my former students. Yeah. Chris Bloom. And, you know, it, it reminded me of the, um, all of the great students that I've had that I still am in contact with today. And, um, it, it gave me kind of a sweet feeling reminiscing about what it used to be like to be a professor now that I'm retired, you know, all those, all those things, They haven't gone away just because I've retired. They're still there. Yeah. Um,
0: Well, honestly. Felt good. Honestly, with this economy, I'm probably never going to retire as a professor. (laughs) You will. will. Maybe when I'm 70. What about you, Nathan? What's your highlight this week? My highlight this week is the fact that this week I got to celebrate the birthdays of the two most important women in my life my wife Jess who has turned 28 years old and my dog Blake who has just today while we're recording this turned 4 years old they're two people that I care a hell of a lot of, about I love them both happy birthday
1: um two people?
0: yes two people
1: dogs are people? yes they are that's good to know I'll have to make a note of that <laughs> <laughs>
0: And with that, thank you so much for listening to The Perspectrum, and you will hear from us again next week.